0: Okay, so we've got the green box for plastics and tins, then we have the blue one for paper and cardboard, and the black box for glass. Doing our bit for the planet. In a few days, a big recycling truck will arrive and take it all away. We move on with our lives. From here, it goes straight to a sorting center where it's recycled and then reused in new products, right? At least that's what I thought blissfully naive about the reality, when in fact the reality is much more depressing. It's much more likely that the plastic waste we use will be shipped abroad in massive containers to places like Asia, Africa, and the Middle East, where frequently it's illegally dumped or burned, causing untold damage to the environment and the health of those living there. The global market in plastic waste is lucrative And it's expected to reach over 50 billion US dollars by 2022. The temptation for organised criminal groups and bad actors to get a slice of this market is too hard to resist, and so corners are cut, laws are ignored, and irreversible damage is done. Alongside this, some waste management companies are used as fronts to conceal other illicit activities like human trafficking, drug trafficking. Prostitution and various financial crimes like money laundering, tax evasion, or misinvoicing. This is Deep Dive from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. I'm Jack Megan Vickers. And today we're talking about plastics for profit.
1: I found a place that so many British plastic just dumped and burned.
2: So these companies are also responsible for
3: telling lies. And then criminals would open bank accounts in the names of those workers. And so basically they would take their wages when these workers would be paid.
4: Production of virgin plastic is cheaper than the recycled that we can produce. And again, in the gap between, criminals prosper.
0: Cool, right, so you ready to go? Yep. Wonderful, right, so Virginia, if we can start off first of all, if you can introduce yourself and your title.
3: Hello, I'm Virginia Comolli, I'm a research manager at the Global Initiative.
0: The Global Initiative has been conducting a series of studies looking into the illicit flows in various environmental commodities that are being moved around the world. And it was during these studies that Virginia saw that the illicit trade in plastic waste was a key concern not just the environmental damage, the impact on human health, but also the increased involvement of criminal groups in the waste trade. Now, this involvement in the waste sector isn't necessarily anything new. During the 70s, Italian mafia groups had consolidated their involvement in the business, with one former mafia boss later describing trash as gold. And then, even in the fictional world of The Sopranos, the lead character often would claim that he worked in waste Waste management. management But what's concerning now is the internationalisation of this industry.
3: Over time, we've seen an increasingly internationalised trade in illicit waste, in illicit plastic waste. And what we're seeing today is also this domino effect, whereby until 2017, most of the the waste or plastic waste would end up in China. Mm -hmm. Following China's ban, most of the plastic ended up in Southeast Asia. Then we are seeing an increased involvement of African countries. And we are also seeing places such as Turkey or some Eastern European countries countries now also becoming key recipients of illicit plastic waste. And so the question is basically, where next? This problem is not going away. This is something that is going to be on our radar for, for years to come. We are going to produce more and more plastic waste. We in the West have no capacity to process, to recycle that waste. We will always need to find a way to dispose of it and there is big money to be made. And wh- wherever there is big money to be made, you can be sure the criminals would want to be involved.
0: Now, there are a couple of things that we'll look at in more detail. Of course, the role of organized crime, but also the China ban that Virginia mentioned. But before we come on to that, let's look at the maths here. Globally, we generate 2 billion tons of municipal solid waste every year. Now, this is a huge number, so let me try and put that into some context. That's the equivalent of roughly 43,695 titanics. Or let's look at the largest animal, the blue whale. They can weigh up to 180 tonnes. To match the amount of plastic waste we produce every year, it equates to just over 11 million blue whales. What I'm trying to say is that we produce a lot every year. And only 13.5% of that is recycled, which is just under 6,000 Titanics, for those who want to know. And it's European and North American countries who are the main culprits.
3: Well, Western countries have been shipping waste abroad for a long time. Already back in the 70s, especially African countries, were observing the the byproducts of, of, of this trend. And increasingly, they became almost, you know, landfills for uh, Western waste. And this led to an increased outcry, especially on the part of African countries, which led eventually to the adoption of the Basel Convention, which is the main international convention that currently regulates the transnational movements of hazardous waste.
0: Let's just take a super quick detour to talk about the Basel Convention as it will be mentioned a few times in this episode and it basically tells you what is considered illegal and what isn't. So the Basel Convention on the Control of Transboundary Movements of Hazardous Wastes and Their Disposal thankfully more commonly known as the Basel Convention this was adopted in 1989 after an international outcry over Africa and other developing regions being used as a dumping ground for foreign waste in the 80s. And what makes waste illegal? Well, there are a few things. You can't just ship anything. You have to notify those countries concerned ahead of time and you have to ensure that that shipment that you've sent meets the standards and requirements set out in the Convention. Then, of course, if you've obtained consent through falsification, misrepresentation or fraud, or if what's being shipped doesn't match your documentation. Then finally, if you are knowingly sending the waste to be dumped. All of this makes it illegal, and we'll look into those in more detail later. Then I should probably add that in 2019, the ban amendment was added to stop countries that make up the OECD, which is the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the EU and Liechtenstein, exporting hazardous waste to developing countries and those undergoing economic transition. 187 countries and the EU have signed up to this convention, but with one notable exception, the United States. The US have their own agreements with individual countries, but as many of these countries are part of the Basel Convention, it means that they have to meet certain criteria to trade in waste. But the US puts the onus on the waste receiving countries, whether non-OECD or not, to accept only the plastic waste they are capable of processing. So the Basel Convention is important for this episode because most shipments of plastic waste or scrap destined for disposal or recycling around the world is controlled by this convention. As we heard before, Western countries have been the main offenders when it comes to producing plastic waste. And for a long time, China was the place waste was sent for processing. Up to 2017, China imported approximately 45% of the world's waste, 85% of the EU's and 50% of the waste from the United States. In 2018, that all changed with the Chinese national sword policy.
3: Yes, the, the coming into effect of China's national sword policy was a total game changer for the waste industry worldwide. The new policy was first announced in 2017 and then came into effect in 2018. And up until that point, China was receiving nearly half of all the waste produced globally. Once that policy was introduced, effectively banning the imports of some 24 types of of waste, including many types of, of plastic, All of a sudden, all that waste had to find a new destination. So almost overnight, places such as Malaysia or Indonesia and the Philippines, along uh, many others, became the new uh, recycling destination for most of North America and European plastic waste.
0: New destinations for waste. So the next question is, how does it get there? Well, we need a broker. So to start with, the role of a broker is totally legal and legitimate and you can see them advertising their business on social media. A broker is essentially an individual or a firm that buys and sells things on behalf of their clients. And they're a pretty important bridge between the waste and recycling sector. They will buy the waste from a raw material supplier and then sell it on to a vendor. But like most industries, there are some bad apples. The research carried out by the GI has shown that when it comes to the illicit side of plastic waste flows, alongside recycling companies, brokers are the key offenders. The problem lies in that once the raw material supplier has sold the waste to the broker, they've lost control of that consignment with no control over where it's sent or how it's disposed.
4: So it's not all illegality and not all brokers are legal, but there are bad brokers within the system.
0: This is Willie Wilson, Vice Chair and Private Sector Engagement Lead at Interpol Pollution Crime Working Group.
4: At a very basic level in-country, it might involve an illegal operation where waste is simply been taken below cost and dumped in a field or industrialist industrial plot somewhere, and profit is generated by that and others are left to pick up the pieces, the landowner or the regulator or the taxpayer in terms of the waste that's then dump. At the other end of that scale when it comes to transnational carriage brokers operate on the high seas effectively, dealing in a dynamic and very, very flexible environment and marketplace where waste is is transshipped from country to country and often re-routed, very often misdescribed, redescribed false documentation and channel to areas where control is weak and ensure that the waste is effectively dumped in countries that sadly are not able and should never be the recipients of the waste and are certainly not in a position to deal with effectively. And at that end, these unscrupulous brokers make the money and they don't do it alone. There are people in that process in that chain that at some point have looked at their duty of care, have looked at their responsibilities, and have looked the other way. And in that process there, that's when the deals are done. But we, and particularly the people receiving this waste in in the countries that are now blighted by this problem, uh, are the victims of that.
0: Now, research has shown that there are bad broker to bad broker relationships that operate the illicit side of this trade. An investigation in 2018 uncovered a network of Vietnamese brokers based in different countries around the world, who would facilitate the export of unclean plastics to Vietnam. Some of the practices that these bad brokers use is first something called concealment. And this feels fairly self-explanatory, but let's go over this quickly. Concealment is when plastic waste is hidden amongst another waste product, like e-waste or paper, which are basically self-regulating markets, meaning your container is less likely to be searched. Another is misdeclaration, and this can come in many forms, so let me give you an example. Let's say I'm a broker looking to ship a container of plastic waste from the UK to Turkey, and I declare on my documentation, something like a bill of lading, that the container is carrying clean plastic waste, and clean essentially means non-hazardous. But in reality, it's carrying mixed waste. Certain types of plastic bottles, food scraps, dirty nappies, and so on. That's an example of misdeclaration. Then we have misdeclaration by the actual recycling companies themselves, who might lie about their operating capacity to make it look like they can take more plastic waste than they actually can. Why? because that allows them to import more plastic waste. And in some cases, such as Malaysia, companies have been found using this technique so they are able to obtain approved permits to import waste, which are then sold onto Chinese recyclers. And then the other form of misdeclaration is obscuring the origin. Now, remember that the Basel Convention states that it's illegal for OECD countries to ship hazardous waste to non-OECD countries but you can get round this. By concealing the origin of the waste, you can bypass the legislation. And one of the ways you do this is by using in-betweens. Here's Virginia.
3: When we look at the illicit flaws in plastic waste, it's hardly ever a straight trajectory from A to B. The flow involves multiple stops, and often these flows go through some transit points. The transit points can be places such as Hong Kong, and actually Hong Kong is a very popular one because also from the point of view of illicit trade is a very important international trade hub. And the reason why these illicit consignment go through places such as Hong Kong is in order to conceal their true origin. Because of the existing regulations, Western countries cannot send hazardous waste or mixed plastic to non-OECD countries in Southeast Asia. So in order to conceal the fact that that waste might be coming from, from Europe or from North America, they would conceal the true origin of a particular cargo and basically pretend is only coming from Hong Kong, hence not breaking the rules. And that would allow uh, the consignment to reach its final destination in Malaysia or Indonesia, for instance, without, at least on paper, contravening any rules.
0: Now, in Indonesia, a couple of paper recycling companies who seemingly didn't obscure the origin of 280 containers from the United States, which contained hazardous waste, had all of them confiscated by the authorities, which of course cost them a lot of money, but it was also illegal. Yuyun Ismawati is a senior advisor at the Nexus 3 Foundation in Indonesia and can pick up the story.
2: So one case that we followed, the containers were from the US and it was supposed to be returned to senders. In Basel Convention, if it's contaminated by hazardous waste, it has to be returned to senders or repatriated. But in the case of Indonesia, the officials do not use the words repatriated a lot, but instead they use the words re-exportation. Re-exportation doesn't always mean return to senders or repatriated, but it could mean exported to anywhere, so one case that we followed, the containers were supposed to be returned to the U.S., but because of the policy of re-exportation, these containers have been sold to a trader, uh, to a trader in, I don't know, based in some country, and they sell it to buyers in India. So instead of re-exported or returned to the U.S., these containers have been re-exported or resale to India. The confiscation is one thing, but the exportation or return to senders or repatriation is another thing that could be different from we expected.
0: So we'll look at Indonesia in more detail later, but I just wanted to talk about something that Yuyun mentioned, and that's repatriation. See, this is what's supposed to happen. The waste is sent back to the origin country. But in this case, in Indonesia, officials slightly changed the wording to re-exportation rather than repatriation, utilising a glaring loophole, because this allows the waste to be exported somewhere else, in this case, India. But over the years, we have seen examples of repatriation. The Philippines has returned a number of containers to Canada, and at one point, President Duterte actually threatened to declare war on Canada due to the large influx of waste coming from that country. And then in 2019, a French brokerage company sent 20 containers of mixed waste from France to Malaysia, which the Malaysian government refused and repatriated to France, and the company were fined 192,000 euros. Much of this story hinges on the sudden change to the industry brought about by the national sword policy in China suddenly Western Waste needed to find new destinations. One of those places was Turkey. But after an investigation by Greenpeace, which showed that most imported plastic waste wasn't being recycled, the government introduced a ban on imports of PET, HDPE and LDPE plastics, only for the ban on PET to be lifted less than two weeks later. This is a prime example of the catch-22 that many of the recipient countries feel they face, having to choose between preserving and protecting the environment or generating revenues and employment. Now, despite the environmental damage from plastics, after the national sword policy in China came into force, Turkey saw plastic waste imports triple in just 12 months, which has a knock-on effect on the environment of the country.
1: I am Dr. Sedat Gündoğdu. I am working as a researcher at Çukurova University, Adana, Turkey. My main uh, research focused on plastic pollution at marine environment. I decided to, to keep tracking the source of this microplastic in marine environment because in our sample, we found very specific microplastic that shredded with a machine because it wasn't weathered wasn't degraded in environment. It was just cut with some machine, because you can understand when you look the sample, if a machine used shredding, there was some sharp edge and uh, sharp figures and types of plastic in, in our sample. Then I decided to, uh, to look at a freshwater search that connected wind with Mediterranean Sea. And I also checked some irrigation canals that we have. Then I decided to check to find any illegal dumping activities. Then I found some places that shredded plastic just dumped. At that time, I didn't realize that they were imported plastic because it was shredded and the labels on the plastic wasn't so obvious. After that, I found a place that too many British plastic just dumped and burned in in a very urban area. There was hundreds on thousand tons of British waste packets, plastic packets, belong to some big companies located in UK. I started to map, uh, document the dumping locations. In this case, I, I worked with Gaia organization. Gaia organization supported to make mapping in an online An interactive manner. And then I found more than 30 different places that uh, topic of illegal dumping and open burning activities.
0: Turkey as a country already struggles with its own plastic waste. So taking on additional plastic waste from the West has contributed to the coast of Turkey being one of the most polluted in the Mediterranean. As a marine biologist, Sadat has seen the damage these tiny bits of shredded microplastic do to the marine environment, which is illegally dumped along rivers and canals.
1: The result of this pollution, 50% of the marine fish are ingesting plastic unintentionally, and also 31 kilograms of plastic waste just ending up the Turkish coast per kilometer per day. One, more than 1,000 piece of microplastic per kilogram of a beach sediment in in some sandy beaches located at northeastern part of Mediterranean coast of Turkey. So we call that place Dirty Edge of Mediterranean Sea. So the second effect is on the sea turtle that using Turkish coast as nesting ground because some of the beaches are... Home to this green sea turtle very intensely but the, the the area full of plastic and then this affects nesting activities of sea turtle when they encounter plastic waste in the beach, they can cancel breeding activity and then turn back to the sea to look another place another suitable place this makes delay on their nesting and it makes how to breed and how to make new offsprings And this definitely will have effect on their future generation.
0: These microplastics cannot be removed from the marine environment. These are tiny particles that are a similar size to the microorganisms that live there. But the beach is another matter. It is perhaps possible that it could be removed, but without turning off the tap of plastic waste, it will just be replaced again and again. So, what about those companies in Turkey that are burning and dumping this waste? What is being done to prevent this from happening?
1: As we know from the, the controlling activities done by Ministry of Environment in Turkey, some of the companies, some of the facility owners, they are just dumping this mixed waste to the, uh, those areas because of the the cost of incinerating of this waste in cement cleans or uh, other. Uh, licensed incineration plants. But most of these incineration plants, they don't accept this imported mixed waste because it is they are contaminated and has low calorific level. As we know from news and the control activities, the companies that have license but don't have enough capacity to tackle this useless plastics.
0: According to Virginia's report, Plastics for Profit, Turkey is at the centre of a criminal convergence between the illicit plastic waste trade and trafficking in other illicit activities. Through an interview with a former UK-based broker, they highlighted a criminal connection between Turkey and the UK. The former broker claimed that there was a London-based waste company, apparently one of hundreds around the UK, which was used as a front for prostitution, drug trafficking and other illicit activities. These UK businesses would purposefully send their plastic waste to a partner company in Turkey where cannabis, cocaine, methamphetamines and steroids would be hidden within the waste to avoid detection from police and customs dogs before being shipped to markets in the Middle East and beyond. So we heard earlier about the Italian Mafia and now about these Turkish polycrime networks. Organized crime has a long history with the waste management industry. So why is that? Here's Willie again.
4: The most oft used expression uh, in answer to that question is, is high value, low risk. Historically, been an industry that has not had the strongest oversight and regulation, it's been regulation with a light touch at times, And it's been done in a manner that without bringing together the information and intelligence that other agencies have, it's been done in a a vacuum previously, where organised crime could present a legitimate face and be able to pursue a variety of criminal activities and use that legitimate business as a front for other criminal work.
0: Low risk, high value with historically not the strongest oversight and regulation. It makes perfect sense why this would be a focus for organised criminal groups. It's a great way to launder your illicit proceeds.
4: From reporting that's come in from from the work that we've we've done and and the reviews that have been undertaken in the last few years, there has been solid evidence of organised crime using the facades of a legitimate waste enterprise to launder the proceeds of other criminal commodity transactions. Uh, there's been a, evidence of modern slavery, firearms trafficking, drugs trafficking. So all the elements that uh, organised crime has its, has its fingers in have been witnessed at some level or other. And increasingly, as we move in terms of emerging threats, we've seen the threat posed by cybercrime and, and by and in the financial sector. So if you are going to launder the proceeds of crime and, and going to sort of facilitate that. The waste industry is where you're going because the the volumes and the data that is generated and the potential movements of materials and money electronically, digitally are are vast. So it's the perfect environment for a criminal group to operate within.
0: The role of organised crime was clear to see when earlier this year, the Financial Action Task Force, the FATF, released a report in which they said that criminal syndicates play a significant role in waste trafficking in many advanced economies. This includes organised crime groups owning or operating legitimate front companies in waste management, but which do not operate as stated. Instead, they often use substandard disposal or storage processes. These companies may engage in fraud to secure contracts for waste disposal, and then illegally dumping, resulting in illicit proceeds. While also costing the government millions in cleanup costs. Here's Virginia.
3: We are seeing growing evidence of involvement of criminal groups, especially from Turkey, where polycrime groups, i.e. criminal groups that normally are also involved in other activities, such as drug trafficking or human trafficking, for instance, have also taken an interest and becoming involved in the illicit disposal of European waste and especially European plastic. And what criminals do is they... They basically use legitimate recycling and other companies as fronts. They also engage in money laundering through these businesses, and all sorts of fraud and forgery and manipulation of legal records and also corruption. What is also interesting is that although traditionally the waste industry has been associated with so-called white collar crimes, there is more evidence pointing towards a convergence with other forms of criminality, such as drug trafficking, human trafficking, and even, even modern slavery.
0: You might remember last year the FinCEN files leak when thousands of suspicious activity reports or SARS were leaked to BuzzFeed News and subsequently the ICIJ. For many this was the first time they were aware of these compliance requirements from banks to monitor suspicious financial transactions. Well, in that same report from the FATF they describe how in Italy analysis of 90 suspicious activity reports led to an investigation and dismantling of a transnational criminal group involved in illicit waste trafficking, false invoicing amounting to $68 million, money laundering, self-money laundering originating from a tax audit. 44 companies were identified as involved in the illicit scheme, leading to arrests and a seizure of $9.5 million worth of assets. But despite these positive outcomes, like the case just mentioned in Italy, the problem clearly hasn't gone away. And according to Willy, it's unlikely to be going away anytime soon. It's an
4: incredibly challenging area because we're producing more waste plastic every day. The recycling of it is complex, it's expensive, and corners are cut. And corners are cut by those that are prepared to take the risk and are prepared to deal with it in the country illegally or to ship it overseas and let others deal with the challenges that it brings. And that is the problem that I do not see going away in the short, medium or even long term because we're producing more and more plastic, as I've said. Production of virgin plastic is cheaper than the recycling that we can produce and again in the gap between criminals prosper.
0: You might be thinking, why don't customs and border officials deal with these containers? Well, 80% of global trade goes by sea. And when you think of each one of those massive container ships carries over 20,000 separate containers, when it arrives in port, the customs officials only have the ability to check a small fraction of those thousands of containers that come through every day. So if your container is also misdeclared and disguised using different commodity codes... The likelihood of your container being checked is vanishingly small. The lack of enforcement means that any plastic waste that is misdeclared can be shipped around the world fairly easily. And then, of course, corruption at ports is also not unheard of. I
4: would say that given the elements of misdeclaration, falsification of paperwork, etc., that there is a, a group of agencies that must be involved in that and must be aware of what's going on. And so there's, whether it's for an exchange of monies or a share in the profits, it it would be hard to sort of pin down. But by the same token, as I've said, some of the resources that play in terms of staff dedicated to inspecting transboundary movements of, of waste coming into some of these countries, particularly in Southeast Asia and Africa, where the environment agencies perhaps have only been in play for about 10 or 15 years and who are trying to undertake in-country challenges and are suddenly now being flooded with the importation of of waste streams and currently now it's illicit plastic waste streams coming into the country. So the dynamics of that are such that a country that wasn't receiving that type of material wouldn't have resources in play to deal with that. And suddenly now they're being flooded, literally flooded with waste. So you cannot, how can any agency pivot and turn and resource that quickly and effectively and efficiently? It's a massive challenge.
0: Earlier this year, one of the leading waste management companies in the UK called Biffa, were on the receiving end of a hefty fine after a prosecution was bought by the UK Environment Agency. The company was fined £1.5 million for what the judge called a reckless, bordering on deliberate act, exporting mixed household waste to non-OECD countries. Between 2018 and 2019, BIFA shipped to India and Indonesia more than 1,000 tonnes of banned waste. And this wasn't the first time the company had found themselves in legal trouble. Here's Virginia.
3: The company had been fined a few times over the years for basically sending waste to countries in Southeast Asia where it should not have sent that waste to because it's against the International Convention, Basel Convention. But in 2021... Bifa received very large fine. He was sued for allegations of trafficking and modern slavery. Basically, what happened: an organized criminal group had trafficked some uh, vulnerable individuals from Poland to the UK, and then these people, through these trafficked individuals, through a uh, recruitment agency, were placed to work in some of these recycling plants, uh, alongside factories and, and farms. And then criminals would open bank accounts in the names of those workers. And so basically they would take their wages when these workers would be paid, whilst the workers themselves would live in total poverty in some very cramped accommodations and receive next to no money at all. So this was a big case that emerged in the course of this research and also points to this wider convergence between the waste industry and criminal groups.
0: In 2019, after BIFA was facing charges for illegal waste export to India and Indonesia, Yu Yun and her organisation, the Nexus 3 Foundation, began investigating the three companies in Indonesia who received the illegal waste.
2: Pindodeli, Pindodeli 3, and also Surya Eratama. So the first company, Pindodeli, is near Jakarta. One of my staff went there with the custom people. And then the second company is based in East Jaffa. Our colleague in East Jaffa Ekoton also visited their factory. And you won't believe what they have in their factories. Massive mixed waste from everywhere, from all over the world. I mean, from the US, from the UK, Australia, even New Zealand. We can identify it because if we flipped the paper, the papers and the mixed waste in the packaging, we could identify where they're from. And we have identified this company in 2019. They dumped the unwanted plastics to the neighbourhoods. And then they also do not have proper or good or functioning with water treatment. As a paper company, they already protested by the communities because they polluted the, the neighborhoods and the, the villages. But what happened when our report came out, when we visited the factory, the Ministry of Environment people came and then they check again the paperwork and so on. Well, they said, um, well, there's nothing wrong with this. Well, we said, yeah, it was 40%, the contaminant. (laughs) Can't you see it? But they said, yeah, but this is still uh, following the regulations. You know, it's only a small amount. How can you, this is another tricky part, you know, how can you measure 2% in a bale? Unless you open them one by one and then, you know, unbale them, unpack them. How are you going to do this, you know, to identify 2% contaminant? but if we see it with our own eyes we could see it's not paper it's mixed with plastic packagings and everything including buckets you know including cans that that were squeezed in between to make you know bigger space for the bale it's just ridiculous so what happened with them they didn't get fined
0: yeah i mean i, I was i was wondering about this what responsibility do some of these the the western companies the ones that are actually sending this you know they're at the other end of the chain mm. what what responsibility do they have to make sure the stuff that they're sending to somewhere else not only is correct the way that they're sending it but also that it is dealt with in the correct way right. somewhere else
2: okay so here's the thing so all of the companies in the developed countries it will be there are several chains of custody how a container sent from uh, the north to the south okay so you will need a trader to buy your stuff and then send it to the destination countries and then to do that you have to hire an agent who will deal with your paperwork and then that agent will need to go to supervising company who will certified uh, who will certify what's inside your, your container and then If you get that declaration, the bill of lading from that company, then you tick all the boxes that you have, all the necessary permits to send it. Before the Basel Amendment on plastic waste, there is no requirement to send prior informed consent. There is no requirement to tell the destination country that, hey, I have this stuff in the bales or in the containers. Will you still have it or not? You know? So because there is no prior informed consent like that, so the importer only said, okay, yes, I'm going, I'm going to buy from you. Okay, so it's fine. 2% or 10% contaminants will be fine. We'll buy it anyway. They said, how much is it? If it's cheap, then we'll get it from you. So the traders will find any buyers that match with the, the negotiations or the price that they wanted to. And then they can send to any importers. So some of them have contracts, three months contracts, six six months contracts. Sometimes they just are one off. But when you do not inform your importers or the destination country what's in it and just relying on the paperwork, you will not know what's inside, right? Until the containers arrive and you open it, then you will find out. That's a tricky part, isn't it? So the company who are responsible to validate or to certify that, yes, I've seen these people uploaded in the containers and it's 2% contaminant stamp, you know. So these companies are also responsible for telling lies, what's in it. You know? So it's not only the traders, but also companies who are supposed to certify it, uh, they also get away with it.
0: Indonesia is another example of how drastically the industry changed after the Chinese national sword policy came into force in 2018, almost doubling the amount of waste being imported into the country. Needless to say, the country was not prepared to receive such an increase in plastic waste. Yuyun and her organisation, the Nexus 3 Foundation, observed companies importing mixed waste and dumping it in the communities. You see, the law in Indonesia says that importers are not allowed to trade that waste away. If they import it, they are the only ones who are allowed to use it. But this hasn't stopped some companies importing the mixed waste and then dumping it. For example, in a place called Bangun, otherwise known as the Plastic Village.
2: People have a space at the beginning of the village to dump all the plastic waste from paper companies seven or 11 paper companies uh, dumped the unwanted plastic waste that was in the bales of paper bales so they dump it in the underground and the communities sorted it out uh, they look for the high value of plastics. And the rest of them, they sold to tofu factories or to other uh, purposes for fuel. But the remaining of them, if if it's within one week, they can't finish the piles, they just burn it. That created smokes that affect other people, especially old people and, and children in the area. They have more respiratory problems, and we checked at the clinic that they have an increased number of respiratory problem cases in the health clinics. In other place, we also interviewed some people. They said that three of their neighbors decided to move out to another village because they can't stand the smoke and they have children, they have babies, so they have to move and relocate to another place. In another area, we also seen students Rush brought to the health clinics because they got suffocated and they have a severe health respiratory problems. Twelve students have been affected and then they sent to hospitals because of this. And that's all coming from the waste dumping, the unwanted waste that was imported by plastic companies, by paper companies. These poor people, they got affected, but they don't know who to blame because the companies use local contractors to dump it, which is their neighbours, <laughs> sometimes also their family members as the drivers. Yeah, it's it's a bit difficult for the communities to protest this.
0: The damage to human health, alongside the clear environmental damage, has been termed as ecocide, which means someone knowingly causing severe and widespread or long-term damage to the environment. Such is the seriousness of ecocide that the International Criminal Court is being pressured to add ecocide as the fifth core international crime alongside genocide, war crimes, crimes against humanity and the crimes of aggression. So given the seriousness of this issue, who are the companies involved in the plastic waste trade in Indonesia?
2: Some companies are 100% Indonesian-owned companies. Some of them are foreign investment companies. And some of them are... The members of plastic recycling association or pulp and paper associations, those are big companies that are, you may say, protected by their associations. And then some companies also have shareholders, prominent people, or important VIP people that's still in charge at the cabinet. And of course, people always use that big name as their to justify that they they are strong and they cannot be disturbed for whatever they've done in some cases the non-members are the one that have been sacrificed in bracket uh, when i said sacrifice it means that their companies will be targeted by authority confiscated at port or visited by authorities uh, on site because they are not members of the association, so in some cases we also seen that the association provided supports in terms of technical and legal explanations and support assistance for their members, but those who are not members will be sacrificed, and and they are the other one who will be prosecuted. Although they are member of associations, they kind of like untouched by law. For instance, the paper companies that dumped their waste in the neighborhood, they've never been sanctioned because they are members of the association.
0: Now, after the implementation of the Chinese National Sword Policy and the subsequent influx of waste into countries like Indonesia, Turkey, Malaysia and the Philippines, it caused countries around the world to ban imports of plastic waste. As we heard before, resulting in repatriation of containers full of waste, But many of these bans were quickly overturned or watered down. In in Indonesia, for example, after pressure from NGO groups like the Nexus 3 Foundation, the government agreed that they would only accept waste imports with 1.5% levels of contamination and then within three years that would drop to 0% levels. However, this decision quickly changed. So why the change of heart so quickly? Industry lobbyists
2: the associations of recycling industry from the uk and the us visited indonesia in september 2019 if i'm not mistaken and they lobbied the associations and then they lobbied you know there is a certification company or the shipment supervising company like baltic control and so on but in indonesia there are two companies Sukofindo and surveyor indonesia so they also approach those companies to lobby and change the perception that the contaminants is not a big problem because Indonesia's company will still need materials for their recycling, paper and plastics. So after their visit, the Ministry of Environment do not consider going down to zero anymore. So they stick with 2% contaminant. But if you look at the contaminants uh, 2% in 100 tons it means what two tons and if you take a look at the mixture of the, that two tons it could be consisted of soiled nappies it could include used oil packaging that really nasty so even though it's two percent but if you take a look at that those mixture it's nasty it should not be there So I guess because of the lobby of the associations of plastics and recycling industries from the UK and the US, I think the government a bit slowed down their decision, softened it.
0: And powerful waste and recycling companies lobby countries across the globe. In Kenya, for example, the American Chemistry Council, representing major oil companies, lobbied alongside the U.S. government to shape terms of the planned U.S.-Kenya trade deal. Before this, Kenya had the strictest ban on single-use plastic in the world, but now could become the main African hub for the distribution of American-made plastic on the continent. Here's Virginia again.
3: Yes, what we have observed with a number of those countries that have implemented import bans is that governments have come under significant pressure from trade associations and other groupings representing the waste sector that would actually encourage governments to lift their import bans or, or actually make them less stringent. And I think this problem is quite widespread in Asia, but we've also seen it in, uh, in North America, in the United States in particular, where it's not only the recycling sector associations, but it's also a major oil companies that have been lobbying governments in order to allow the shipments of plastic and these are very powerful bodies and that represent the interest of business and of course they oftentimes they would make some strong economic arguments which however fail to take into account the, the terrible environmental impact that shipping waste and plastic waste in particular to countries that do not have the facilities to actually process the waste would have.
0: we mustn't lose sight of the fact that the vast majority of this plastic waste, wherever it ends up, that waste originates from Western countries. Currently, the EU and the United States simply don't have the capacity to recycle domestically. And setting up new facilities has limited financial appeal. Such is the lack of capacity that the United States recycled just 2.2% of its 40 million tons of plastic waste in 2018. Projections this year owing to an increase in waste generation, domestic capacity could become zero. The West has a huge responsibility to solve this crisis. And alongside this increase, we've also seen how organised crime all over the world use the waste industry as a front for other illicit activities, be it money laundering, drug trafficking, or exploiting human beings in some shape or form. Not to mention the damage to the environment when not disposing of plastic waste in the correct manner. Then in addition to this, we have the transnational nature of illicit waste. Organised crime like legitimate business will continue to maximise their revenues, continue to seek more advantageous avenues and routes for their illicit cargoes, be that through permissive ports or destination hubs. Illicit trade in waste is here to stay. So what can be done to improve the situation we find ourselves in? Let's quickly go through some of the recommendations from the paper Plastics for Profit. And there'll be a link to that paper in the summary to this show. So there are some good initiatives that have already begun to be implemented. In the UK, we've seen the creation of the Joint Unit for Waste Crime with the specific mission to tackle the threat of organised crime within the waste sector. Then Interpol has pushed for the establishment of something called the National Environment Security Task Force. Here's Virginia.
3: They really aim at bringing together all range of actors at the national level, from environmental agencies, the police, prosecutors, NGOs, and various international partners who can actually focus their efforts and work together in order to disrupt environmental crime, and, and particularly waste crime in a given country. And... Um, In addition to that, Interpol has also established a pollution crime working group that has designed a number of initiatives and actions targeted at maritime pollution crime or other forms of waste crime.
0: Another recommendation would be an exchange of knowledge between law enforcement regulators and the private sector.
3: You know, there are many good businesses that are really working hard to comply with all environmental laws and regulations. And I think that they they should be supported in what they do. And also law enforcement can learn a lot because industry would have a good sense of new trends in the movement of, of waste. They would have experience to share. And I think it would be a missed opportunity if there is not enough exchange with the private sector.
0: And this spirit of collaboration can be extended between government, law enforcement, NGOs, and civil society actors like investigative journalists, they do some really good work and can influence public opinion and eventually policy as well. And finally, what about a technological solution?
3: I think technology can be a big game changer, for instance, in terms of digitalizing the tracking of of waste, which is something that countries such as the UK are, are working on. And basically, this would reduce the risk of document fraud and misdeclaration because everything would also be tracked digitally. But also, technology can have a big impact on the lives of those informal workers. And we are talking about millions of workers in places such as Africa or Asia, who are those who are actually sorting, manually sorting the waste.
0: Well, Virginia, I think that is everything we need. Cool. Cool. So I will hit stop. That's it for this episode. The paper Plastics for Profit, written by Virginia Kamali from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organised Crime, is in the summary to this show. There's loads more in there, so go and explore that. I'd like to thank Yuyan, Willie, Sadat, and Virginia for speaking to this podcast. If you'd like to hear previous episodes, head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. There are loads to choose from. Equally, check out some of the other podcasts that we've done, like Africa and the Global Illicit Economy, Faces of Assassination, or Too Many Enemies. For more research from the GI, you can go to our website, which is globalinitiative.net where you can also find videos, documentaries, webinars and plenty of other stuff all based around the subject of organised crime around the world. Please rate, review, share, subscribe and so on. It helps the podcast out and also helps the research that this episode is based on. You've been listening to Deep Dive from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organised Crime. I'm Jack Megan vickers Thanks for listening.